lovely to be with you. A, a bit strange at the moment, I'm uh, away on a tour, a theatre tour, and uh, looking at the character of Barnabas, and looking at encouragement, volunteering, uh, people just stepping up and stepping in for the kingdom. And just being here with you this morning, I just feel that you guys are doing a brilliant, brilliant job. And just touring around, seeing all the different churches makes me really glad to be home <laughs> in the right sense of the word. There's some brilliant things going on, but I, I think you guys here at Bourneville are, are really doing a great job. So I just wanted to say that. Also, thanks to all of you turned out for our half night of prayer. It was a wonderful night. I know it's harder sometimes for you guys from Bourneville to turn out, and we were really, really blessed. Uh, particular credit, I think, has to go to Ruth, who turned out, and uh, it's Ruth's birthday tomorrow. So I just wanted to say, Ruth, we love you, and we're massively blessed to have you as part of our congregation. And uh, she, I think you were going to stay till 11. She stayed till quarter to 12 in the end. She was having such a good time. So uh, thank you all for, for being with us. And as Tim said, we're looking at this business of Jesus being the game changer, of how Jesus Christ has radically changed our world and changed the society that we live in. And in a week where we've had the kind of news that we have uh, internationally, nationally, it's good to remember that Jesus was and is the hope of the world, isn't it? It's good to know that actually, even though we feel maybe worried, frightened, that as we've just remembered, Jesus stepped in for us. And I was just really moved when we were worshipping, thinking of all those who gave their lives for us, that Jesus Christ has done that for each of us, that he's stepped in uh, for all the things that we've done wrong. So let's come to scripture uh, in the uh, New Testament. We're looking at uh, the end of Matthew, perhaps a passage you know well, maybe one that you've never heard before, but right at the end, when Jesus gathers his friends, his disciples together, he gives what we know the Great Commission to them. And at the end of the book of Matthew, this is what he says. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And in that we have Jesus saying, go and do what you have seen me doing. Go and replicate, go and copy me and teach people this truth that I have taught you. And not only teach people it, but live it out. So he's saying, go share what I have taught you, live out as I have lived. And I don't know how much you're familiar with the teachings of Jesus or the life of Jesus, but two things I can tell you is that whenever Jesus met people, he taught them truth through stories, through declaring that they were forgiven. He taught them something and he added to their lives. Sometimes it was healing. Sometimes that was physical healing. Sometimes he set people free uh, who were perhaps taken up by an evil spirit in one case. He actually brought freedom, whether that was spiritual, physical, he brought freedom. He also brought learning. 
He brought learning. And maybe sometimes we think of that, you know, a little bit awkwardly. We think, well, is that for the elite? But Jesus said, no, learning is for every single person alive. And if you work in education, if you're a part of that, if you're working every day and it's tough, I know for many, many teachers and people in the whole realm of education, Jesus blazed a trail in saying education is not for the elite. Here in this passage, we hear that it's for all, that he's passionate, that people not only get to look at the truth, but actually get to accept it for themselves. And that requires somebody teaching them, doesn't it? And uh, perhaps sometimes we forget that teaching is a ministry. Your mission field, if you're in a classroom, if you're a, a TA, if you're, if you're teaching, whatever it is that you're involved with, maybe you're a head, maybe you're a classroom assistant, maybe you just volunteer, you're part of this great commission that says go teach. Now you may not be teaching RE, uh, you may not be teaching straight from scripture, but the value of education comes promoted by Jesus and his example and that everyone should get a go with learning. And the followers of Christ have always been people who have changed the shape of education. They've always been people who have stood up for this inclusion that we're looking at. And I wanted to just share a few quotes with you as we get into uh, to education a little bit. Uh, the first one is from Martin Luther King. He says, intelligence plus character is the goal of true education how true that is. You know, it's not just about the mind, it's about the whole of us, the whole of life. Educating the mind without educating the heart is no education at all. And I, I remember when I was teaching how profoundly true that was for me, that actually it was about the whole person. It was about cheering them on in the whole of life, not just in their intellect. Education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. Nelson Mandela. I hope that encourages us today, whatever way we're involved with education. And finally, I just cheekily added this one because it made me smile. I have never let my schooling interfere with my education. Uh, that makes me smile because that reminds me of my school days when I think perhaps I wasn't learning uh, perhaps quite as studiously as I could have done, but I was certainly uh, extracurricular things I loved. So the whole of us, the whole of education, and that sense of really learning being a privilege that is for every person. I wonder, as you look at the way the world is now, if you feel either a mixture of hope or despair, or if you find hope rising in you when you look at the person of Jesus. There's a man called Bob Goff, who is a follower of Jesus. You might not know his name, but he's written a brilliant book called Love Does. And he set up a charity uh, that was non-profit making to fight the cause of the people who are poor in Africa, who are in India, and who cannot find legal aid. And his goal has been to give legal aid to people who feel that they have no voice. Now, he didn't do very well at school, but one thing he was good at was arguing. Any, <laughs> any people with teenagers might sort of resonate with that, or any teenagers here might resonate with that. I certainly do. But growing up, he could, he could really hold his own in an argument. He was good at it. And uh, he failed academically in a lot of ways, but he thought, how do I use this fact that I've got this, this fight for justice within me? And he wanted to get into law school, but he failed the exams. And the one that he wanted to get into over in America, he decided he would go and see the principal. Uh, you might think, well, what an audacious move, but he had 
this courage, he had this faith in God and also in God's ability to use him. And he went straight to the principal and he said, I think you should take me, not because I'm the most academic, but I will be the most committed student that you could come across. I'll give it my all, and I will, I will fight for the injustices in this world. And the principal said, we're full. You didn't pass the exam. You didn't get in. And he said, well, I believe that one day you'll turn to me and you'll say, Bob, go buy your books. And he, that was his little thing that he prayed for and that he hoped in. He said, one day that guy will turn to me and he will say, Bob, go buy your books. Now, he wasn't from a wealthy family. It would have been hard for them as a family to do, but he believed for it. And so much so that he waited every day, even when term started, he waited outside this principal's office. And on the third day, very biblical, on the third day, a couple of students dropped out and the principal walked past him and he thought, there is a guy who is so committed, go buy your books. Now, I love that story because there's a tenacity about it. Bob Goff says, actually, he said, I used to think that God guided by opening and closing doors himself, but now I know sometimes God wants to use us to kick some doors down. And I find that when I hear the news at the moment, I think, God, help me kick some doors down. Help us as Riverside Church kick some doors down. You know, because people have fought, as we've heard today, for our freedom. And whether it's writing, whether it's standing up for things that we believe in, whether it's volunteering for something that we believe in, as we're going to hear later on, let's together kick some doors down or gently push them if we're a bit more British about it. That's, uh, he's American, so who knows? But that's, uh, uh, the, the sense of breakthrough is so important. So the history of education comes very much through the church. A pupil of a leader or a teacher that was in Jesus. Jesus was, if you like, the new kind of rabbi that taught his followers. His commission to them was that they would be both learners and teachers. Literacy in church, how are we doing with it? Is it a barrier or is it a blessing? Because actually one of the first things that someone does when they come into church is they need to read, don't they? I uh, remember going to church with a girl who um, had had a very, very tricky background. Uh, she had been thrown out. She lived next door to us where we were living as students in Nottingham. And uh, she was thrown out by her pimp in the middle of the night with all her clothes around her and a rucksack onto our shared backyard in the middle of the night. And we went out. Her name was Bonnie. She was the product of incest. So her mum and dad were brother and sister. And uh, we found her in a heap, literally on the ground. She came to live with us for over a month uh, just to really find out about her and care for her a little bit. And one day, the three of us managed to say, come to church, and she said she would. And this was a big day for us. We were just so excited that she'd agreed to come. But of course, the first thing, it was a lovely church in Nottingham, right in the red light area there. Uh, and she walked in, and the first thing, was someone handed her a hymn book and then when she walked in a prayer came up on the screen and she couldn't read it and throughout the service I was sitting there thinking oh my goodness this is such a barrier she can't read any of this and apologizing and trying to show her what what actually was going on and as we went away I kind of thought oh I hope it was all right for her and uh, I said you know Bonnie, was that okay for you? I'm sorry, it was, you know, a little bit tricky in places. But she said, she said, you know, I love the welcome so much in that place and the happiness that it made me want to learn to read. 
And I, I, that, that story um, challenges me. You know, it challenges me about how accessible we are as church. I'm sure we could do more. Let's think about that. Let's pray about that. But actually what transcends is heart. What transcended for Bob Goff was his heart. What the principal saw was a heart that wanted to learn. Why do we want to learn? Because of the winsomeness of Jesus. And so that is why Christians, the Christian movement, has fought so hard to bring education to all people uh, across the nations, across India. They never had education that was available to all for many, many years. In 1536, William Tyndale, a name some of you will know, was strangled to death. What was his crime? It was insisting that the Bible needed to be translated from Latin into English. Why? Because it was only the academics that, that read Latin. And he said, I've got brothers and sisters who are merchants. They can't understand Latin. How are they ever going to examine this truth for themselves? How will they ever access it? And so he said, no, we need to translate this into English, which will make learning accessible for all, for a different class, for people who were not in the elite that were the learned and uh, merchants who hadn't been able to examine the truth for themselves. Education, if you like, was for the male children of wealthy families. And as we heard last week, Jesus has, has been an example in liberating women and children and saying, no, education is for everyone, male and female, across our world. Then Martin Luther, if you like, took up the banner. He wrote a letter to merchants and nobility in Germany. And he said that the church would deliver education if they were able to pay for it. It was the priesthood of all believers. And uh, they, they really did start to say, actually, the church will have a role in educating people. We will do it if you will give us the money to do it. And knowing the truth, as the Bible says, sets people free. In John 8, verse 32, Jesus says, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We're going to hear from someone in education at the moment, the lovely Penny Bonner is going to come out and we're going to just uh, really hear from a teacher now about education and how this, what really Jesus is saying about education, that no one would be lost, that people wouldn't slip through the net and also that, that sense of the whole person, what a beautiful example of the classroom being a mission field where everyone learns to be valued. When Jesus said, come follow me to a group of rugged fishermen, to laborers who would not have been very well educated, one thing we know is that they hadn't made the cut in terms of any further education. That's why they were doing what they were doing. And for Jesus to say to them the words, come follow me, was actually saying what a rabbi would say to somebody who was going to come after him. Saying, in a way, I see in you what I know I'm doing through God now. That's what he would say, come follow me. In other words, I see the potential in you, as Penny was saying, to come and do what I'm doing. And that's the essence of gospel. That's the essence of come, let's do what Jesus is doing. Let's add to people's learning. Pray for the guys out there now teaching our children who are saying actually, in a way, come follow me. This is for all, it's for everyone. The second thing that we're going to look at is how Jesus has looked into health and ministered into how we do health together. And um, if you think about, as I said earlier, Jesus, he would look at people's physical needs. He was known as healer. He is known as healer. It's one of his names, healer. 
And actually, he modeled that in saying, I care about people's health as well. I care what happens to people's health. Actually, in Matthew 25, earlier on in the gospel, he says that when we were sick or in prison, he said that actually when Jesus, he talks to his disciples and he says, when I was sick, when I was in prison, you visited me. When I was hungry, you fed me. And then he turns it on its head and says, but some of you didn't. And actually that, when he's talking in Matthew 25, a little bit earlier on in this gospel, he says, when you did this for the least of my brothers, you did it for me. When you visited sick people, you did it for me. When you fed the hungry, you did it for me. And I wonder today if you can think about what you're going to be involved with this week, whether it is health, whether it is the classroom, whether it is looking after a a poorly child, whether it is going to visit someone, whether you're a carer, that actually these words that Jesus says, when you did this for the least of my brothers, you did it for me. When it's hard, when you're mopping up sick, when you're um, you know, doing catheter bags and things like that, if you're nursing, it is really, really tough. And actually, you did it for me. There's something glorious and beautiful about this, this care for every person. Uh, recently, uh, I heard a story through Adrian Plass. Adrian Plass knew a couple. She was a Christian. He wasn't. And uh, he was a grumpy guy. He was grumpy with church, Christians, he was just grumpy. And his wife was uh, this believing Christian, and uh, she prayed so much that he would find faith. Do you know how he found faith? Well, through those prayers, obviously, but actually it was through being in hospital. And actually, being in hospital, he watched the nurses caring for the man in the bed opposite. He watched their constant care, their love, their patience. The guy was swearing and shouting in the night. If anyone's ever been in hospital, that can often happen. Uh, And uh, just shouting and swearing through the night. And they would come, and they would just mop him down. They would just say, it's all right. He was covered in sores. And it was really hard for him even to have sheets on. And the man thought, how are they doing that? He's driving all of us mad. And yet, somehow, these nurses were caring for him. And he watched, and he had this moment where God spoke to him, really for the first time, And he said, that's me with you. I'm like that with you. You're grumpy, you're covered in sores, you're shouting at the world, you're angry, and I'm loving you. I'm putting my arms around you, and I'm loving you better. As these nurses and doctors care, I'm showing you an example of how I am with you. And if you're a nurse, if you're a doctor, if you're involved in any kind of the health ministry, (laughs) then that's you, that you did it as for me. You did it as for me. St. Vincent's Health Group in Sydney uh, is uh, a very, very big movement for healthcare in the whole of Australia. It was started by five sisters. Five sisters from where? From Dublin, of all places. But they came over, five sisters, committed to charity and committed to giving healthcare to the poor. And they called the poor God's nobility. I love that phrase. 
And they said, we are going to travel. It took them six months to get there by boat, uh, to get there, to actually come to work in the factories where people were really unwell. And they said their goal was to give health care again to those who couldn't afford it. Mary Aikenhead, who some of you will have heard of, was the real ringleader, the spearhead of that movement. She really did work hard, tirelessly all her life to establish that charity that runs today. And actually, there's a sense where we, as we look, as we come to a close, where we look at our own role in this, that actually we can excel in this business of care and love. In a moment, we're going to ask everyone involved in these areas to stand. We're going to pray for you. But all of us, whether we stand or not today, can excel in this business of loving, this business of actually as if you're doing it for Jesus, when it's tough, when it's tough as a parent, when it's tough as a carer, when it's just tough at work, that we're doing it as if we're doing it for Jesus, as for him. As early as uh, 360 AD, Emperor Julian saw what Christians were doing to impact health care for the poor, and he said, we are being outwitted by the kindness of Christians. Wouldn't that be great if that could be said of this body? that the kindness that exudes from us. He was an atheist. He wanted to model, he wanted to do what he saw Christians doing. He tried it, in fact, and it failed. And he said in frustration, we're being outwitted. Why? Because Christians were doing it voluntarily, because they knew there was a higher reward than money. There was a reward beyond the pay packet, and there is a reward beyond your pay packet, whatever that might look like, that is in God's economy, that is part of his reward, both here and in heaven.